Today I'll be reading from Matthew 1, um, verse 1, 17, and 17 through 23. You can follow along in your Bible or on the screen as I read the passage aloud for us. This is a genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is God's word. Thank you, friends. It's a joy to be here. Many of you may not know me, but as you are a part of my extended church family, I do try to pray for you every day, and it's a privilege to be here. Let me pray for our time together in God's word. Heavenly Father, I thank you that every person here matters to you. You are aware of and concerned with all the things that concern us. Our hopes, our fears. We pray, Spirit of God, that you would speak to us. That we would experience your presence, receive your truth, and be changed. I pray that we would leave this place feeling like a weight has been lifted off our shoulders from our heart as you remind us the truth and grace of what we celebrate in this season, the coming of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in his name and everyone said, amen. amen. I suppose there aren't many people who still believe they must write a letter to Santa to get on his nice list but unfortunately, there are many today who believe they need to write a letter of good behavior to God to get on his nice list. And this attitude is captured in a story I heard while I was living in England. It is the story of a young boy named Johnny. At Christmas time, Johnny went to his mother demanding, as young boys often do, a new bicycle. But she decided that Johnny should take a long look at himself and the way that he behaves and then write a letter to Santa. But Johnny, having just played a vital role in the school nativity play, decided to write a letter to Jesus instead. And in his first draft, here's what he wrote. Dear Jesus, I've been a good boy this year and I would really appreciate a new bicycle, your friend. 
Johnny. (laughs) But as Johnny reflected on how he really behaved that year, he ripped up the letter and began a second draft. Dear Jesus, I've been an okay boy this year, and I want a new bicycle. Truly yours, little Johnny. Well, little Johnny knew that he wasn't being totally honest, so he tore it up and he tried again. Dear Jesus, I've thought about being a good boy this year. Can I please have a new bicycle? Signed, little Johnny. In his frustration, he felt that it wasn't enough. Threw away the paper, decided to go for a walk and think about what might be a better approach. And along the way on his walk, he passed by an old church and he noticed a small statue of Mary in front of the church. And in a moment of inspiration, he jumped over the fence, stuffed the Mary statue under his coat, hurried home, hid the statue underneath his bed and wrote one last letter. Jesus, I've broken most of the commandments, but I'm desperate. If you ever wanna see your mother ever again, (laughs) you'd better send me a new bicycle. Signed. Little Johnny. (laughs) I share that story because the truth is that we do care about what list we are on and whether or not we've performed well enough to be on it. Because our lists that we have in our minds and in our lives, they show us whether we're in or we're out, whether we're accepted or rejected. If you're like me, you wonder, well, what kind of a list does God have? And can someone like me be on it? This Advent series is called Christ in Strange Places. And oddly enough, one of the strangest places that Christ shows up is in this list, in his own family tree. See, Matthew's account of the Christmas story starts not with the familiar events of the shepherds, but a long list, which I've spared the scripture reader of, of over 50 names. And like film credits, you may be tempted to skip it all, unless you're in LA and everyone hates you for skipping them. But that would be a mistake, because this list helps us understand why Christmas matters and how it can change my life and your life. Why? Because it is a list full of history, honesty, and hope. The first thing you need to know, not only about this list, but about Advent, is that it's about real history. This is a brief, but a very important point. As was said earlier, Advent literally means coming or arrival, a time where we look back and we celebrate the arrival of God's promise and we wait and look forward to the fulfillment of future promises. And this list shows us that all that we're talking about, all that we're singing about in this season is actually true. It all happened, it's real history. And so as we explore all the strange places that God has shown up, we must remember that it's history. The Christmas story is the fulfillment of a long line of promises brought through Israel, specifically Abraham and David's line. This list 
proves that Jesus is truly the king in the line of David. But it is also an announcement. It's an announcement about something that God has accomplished. Or let me put it this way. This is an important reminder. Christmas is not about good advice. It's about good news. Christmas is not about good advice. It's about good news. Advice, of course, is telling someone what they should do. News is telling someone what has already been done. And the difference is profound. Let me, for an illustration, say that the city this week warned you that a flood was coming towards your house or your apartment and that there was nothing that they could do. What you would need in that moment is advice, someone who could explain everything you would need to do to purchase and prepare to meet that flood. That is advice. However, if the city already identified and stopped the flooding, then in that case, you would not need advice. You would need a messenger telling you what? Good news. Good news, resident. There was a flood, but we have taken care of it. Imagine getting that news from the city. (laughs) The word for angel originally means messenger. And the angel doesn't bring good advice. The angel brings good news. Friends, this all actually happened. It's not a symbol. It's not a metaphor. It's not an inspirational folktale. It is the real story of God moving, coming into our world. It's news. Christmas reminds us that Christianity does not start with something that you must do, but something that has already been done. God has arrived. He's come. He's identified the problem, and he's arrived as the solution. But for who? For me? Well, that's why you need to know secondly. So first, Advent is about real history. It's not good advice. It's good news. But secondly, Advent is about raw honesty. Here's the thing to note about this list. In ancient times, a genealogy, a list like this, was actually meant to legitimize your place in the community. It was like your resume, it was your CV, it was your LinkedIn profile, whatever. It was meant to like show that you had this class or this rank or this status. In fact, these genealogies were so important that many people were known to actually tamper with their lists. They were known to doctor their lists and remove some names or or hide some other family members that they might not want to talk about because they might make them look bad. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) It was that important. It's like the, the family photo where you've got the weird uncle all the way to the side, what do you do? You fold the photo, right? (laughs) You put it back in the picture frame. No, I've never done that. I've only heard of people who do that. But the Christmas story does the exact opposite. See, the people included in this list 
are not the kinds of people that you would expect to be in a, in a story or a family line associated with God. If you read about the people in the Bible whose names are listed here, you quickly discover it is a list of very messy people who, according to God's perfect standard, should be cast out. When we know the stories behind the names, then you see very clearly that the Bible hides nothing. Any notion, that's why this is important to me, and I hope it's important to you, especially for those of you who are exploring Christian faith. Or perhaps those of you who've been around so long, you've forgotten the beauty of the grace of God. Christianity is not about pretending. There's this idea that it's all kind of a fake it till you make it, you know, like wear, wear the mask, but all of that is swept aside in this list alone. So what's so surprising about this list? Well, the first thing to note is generally most ancient Middle Eastern genealogies would include only men. But here we have men and women. But let's get specific by highlighting just a few people in particular from this very long list. And you will begin to see how surprising, almost Scandalous it is that these people are included in a list meant to legitimize the coming king. Consider in verse three these two names, Tamar and Judah. A foreigner, Tamar, married the oldest son of Judah. He died early on. Now back then, there were no social services or job opportunities or protection or support for women like Tamar in her position. There was an option in Israel, however, that was very unique. A relative could marry a widow and thus provide for them. So her father-in-law, Judah, promises her one of his sons. But later on, he goes back on his promise. It's as if he says, she's gonna be no benefit to us or perhaps she'll make us look bad. Judah doesn't want Tamar on his list. So out of determination to get what she was owed, she makes this bold decision to disguise herself as a prostitute. And her father-in-law, Judah, seeing her on the street, not knowing her identity, sleeps with her. She keeps evidence of that, and this would oblige him to keep his original agreement, for later on, she reveals herself to him, and he finally acknowledges his guilt. It's a messy story. You don't usually find it in the children's promises Bibles. <laughs> Anybody remember those, like, precious moments? They don't got much of the book of Judges in there. It's like one page. Like, Samson did a thing. Next book. <laughs> Consider Rahab, named in verse five. She was a prostitute, another foreigner, living in the ancient city, wicked city of Jericho, which was about to be destroyed. Though she was a foreigner, she heard about the God of Israel and, and has faith 
and makes the decision to turn and to trust him and helps the Israelite army even though she knew that a decision like that would put her life at risk, but she was spared. She's on the list. What about Ruth and Boaz, also mentioned in verse five? Ruth, another foreigner from a nation known for its idolatry who marries an Israelite. Sadly, he dies and she becomes a widow. But against cultural expectation, she decides to follow her Israelite mother-in-law to the land of Israel. More than that, she turns to the God of Israel. And knowing that she would be seen and treated as an outsider, she nonetheless looks for refuge through faith in the God of Israel. And by God's providence, she meets this man named Boaz, a kind man who marries her and puts her on his list. Last, perhaps most famous example, David and Bathsheba in verse six. If you know the story, it was a tragic sex and murder scandal that shocked the nation where King David used his power to take another man's wife while her husband was, ironically, away fighting for the king. He gets her pregnant, and to cover up his sin, he has the husband killed in battle, and he takes Bathsheba to be his wife. And to underline the fact that the Bible's hiding nothing, look at verse six. The text literally says, She was Uriah's wife. Why do I share all this? Because to one degree or another, they would be viewed as damaged goods. Very messy stories. Painful memories. Tainted reputations. Hurtful experiences. Guilty conscience. Can anyone relate? I know I can. Maybe you feel like damaged goods. And I understand this. One of the biggest blocks for me becoming a Christian many years ago, now I used to say some years ago, I'm in my 40s, so many years ago, I was born and raised here in the Bay Area, North Bay. I know some of you like don't consider that. Ah, that's not. <laughs> don't judge. <laughs> but I lived the life that was the exact opposite of what God would have for me. Very promiscuous and deceitful. And I had carried a lot of guilt and shame. I'll spare you the details. And every time I thought I could maybe turn to God or, you know, kind of get my life sorted out, I just felt like damaged goods. And maybe some of you feel that way. Or perhaps some of you are the ones who've done some damage in your life. You've lied, you've stolen, you've cheated. Here's the thing. Many of of us want to conceal the disgraceful things that we've done. 
things that have happened in our lives. Maybe even it's our family history, and for many of you, this hits home, literally. Like folding the photo, like, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to talk about that. that that's, I, I can't really acknowledge that as a part of my story or my history. There are so many people, even many Christians, who think that Christianity is, is all about like saving face and pretending to be good and you know, trying really hard. But we see in the story, the people that you would expect to be in, many of them are flawed and failed. And the people that you expect to be out, they're included. And in many cases, they're actually even more righteous than those who are supposed to be in. So why are they all here? Why are they all included? Well, one reason is because the Bible is an honest book. Advent, we celebrate at Advent. I, I say raw honesty because there is a temptation to just be so sentimental at Christmas, like little neon baby Jesus, like, oh. You know, just hot beverages, and you know, we don't talk about anything meaningful. You know, get your cup, like, mm, just gonna bury all the hurtful things of this year in this giant cup of cocoa. <laughs> we all just celebrated Thanksgiving, and it's the dreaded conversation. I'm gonna see my family. Ugh. I don't wanna talk about that. I don't really wanna meet with them. Like, honestly, I had a terrible Thanksgiving, it was horrible. Oh, somebody, oh, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I feel seen. Because <laughs> there was family drama. It sucked. I literally, <laughs> amen, brother. <laughs> There's a support group in room 202 after the first service. <laughs> Why? Because there's family drama. But that can even happen in the church. I understand the temptation to want to, to hide and conceal. And yet the Bible invites us, this season invites us not to be sentimental, but to be radically honest. Here's what's going on in my life. Here's what's happened. The Bible makes no apologies. It's honest. These are all a part of Christ's family tree. There it is for all to see. But there's another reason why this list is included. Because it reminds us right before the account of Christ's actual birth that these are the very types of people that Jesus came to save. Kenneth Bailey wrote an amazing book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes and he says on this List, with such a list. Matthew gives us clues about the kinds of people that the Messiah came to save. He was to be the savior for women and men who were both saints and sinners, Jews and Gentiles. This genealogy is truly comprehensive. And many can look at the stories of these women and men and find some reflection of themselves. That in spite of human failure, God would be faithful. And by miraculous intervention, God would come into our world. He would become human and he would live amongst people like them. People like us. He would meet us in our mess. Why? 
because there is more grace in the heart of God than sin in the heart of man. And that's why lastly, Advent is about remarkable hope. It's history, it really happened. It's full of raw honesty, which means you can be honest about your life. We can be honest about our family tree. But we do that because this is about remarkable hope. These men and women are not only on the list because they're a part of the history, which they are, they're highlighted as the types of people that God came to save. And so we see this as the story of God's grace at every turn, like in spite of this, in spite of that, in spite of this, in spite of that, we then come to the grand fulfillment, the miracle of God coming to set things right. And he finally sends one who would not fail. And it culminates with the familiar account of Mary, this lowly peasant girl who wrestles with the angel's announcement, knowing her reputation was at stake. And yet she, with courage, accepted a call that may bring shame in the eyes of the community. Joseph himself wrestles with this. We're told in our scripture reading today that he had a plan to divorce her quietly, but God intervened. And so by the prompting of God, Joseph goes beyond the expectation of the law. A nobler option was available to him to take this burden along with her upon himself. And he puts her on his list. And here we see in both of them initiative, courage, and boldness, but nothing like what the Son of God would do. See, imagine there was a list of acceptance where your past mistakes wouldn't keep you from it, and your achievements wouldn't put you on it. What if there was such a a list where future failures wouldn't remove you from it? What if there was a way to be totally forgiven and accepted by God apart from what you've done or failed to do? Well, Jesus has made a way for your name to be on that list, and that's why, very specifically, this child's name would be Jesus, for he would come to save his people from their sins. Jesus, the only truly innocent one, who did not just risk but endured all the shame and the public humiliation that we all deserve on the cross to put us on the one list that truly matters, the list of God's family. See, the message, unsentimentally, of Christmas is you cannot save yourself, (laughs) So maybe if you're looking for a good Christmas card this year and you want to send to a relative, (laughs) Merry Christmas, you cannot save yourself. (laughs) For according to his perfect standard, all of us should be cast out. 
And at Christmas time, we see that he did not lower his standard to bring us in. You know what he did? He lowered himself. He didn't lower his standard. He lowered himself to save us. And so Jesus did not just come to a cradle, but he grew up and went all the way to a cross. And there he paid for my sin and for your sin and for the sins of the world to put us on the one list that matters, the list of his acceptance. The reason that God shows up in strange places among broken people is because of grace and love. And through his life, he secures for us a right standing before God. And this happens simply by faith. That's why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 says this, to the praise of the glory of his grace in which he made us what? Accepted in the beloved. So why does this wonderful list continue to be wonderful news for us? Well, the fact that we can be added to his family list by grace means a couple things. First, this one's a little surprising. That's why many Christians you meet may be far worse than other people you know. At first. Hopefully it changes. (laughs) Why? Because it's not as Christians aren't people who got their act together. Right? That's what so many people think. That church is just full. Oh, I can't go to church because those people have their act together. I'm like, are you kidding me? C.S. Lewis once said, Christianity does not make people better. Christianity makes people new. Amen. (laughs) Makes people new. Rulers and prostitutes will sit down at the same table, we're told. No one has a right, but everyone has an invitation. See, grace is highly offensive to people who don't think they need it. But it is glorious to those who know they need it. And I was reminded of this a few weeks ago with my strange uncle. (laughs) I have not seen this uncle for over, well over 20 years. He did not grow up Christian hated Christianity, moved to Vermont, and was essentially estranged. I don't want to hear about Jesus ever. Year after year after year after year, my mother became a Christian in the 70s, tried to share with him, door closed. In my view, the story was done. Uncle Bob, like, I don't know. I don't even know if I'll ever see him again. But recently, with the prompting of the Holy Spirit and a crazy triple bypass surgery, (laughs) we found out that Bob gave his life to Christ. He moved back to his hometown of Illinois And I just got to baptize him with my brother three weeks ago at 68 years old. 
I cannot remember the last time I baptized someone who was almost 70. And he said, right before we baptized him, he was crying. And he said, I've wasted my whole life. I have nothing to offer to God. And we said, neither did the thief on the cross. Like, you're not accepted because of what you bring to the party. You're accepted because of grace. You're on the list because of grace. This also means that you're free to acknowledge your own wrongs and your own failures and your own sins without lying, without covering it up, or without tampering with your own list as people do, especially on social media. They try to curate their appearance to other people to make themselves look like they're successful in one way or another. You can be honest about your sins. You can be honest about what's happened in your life and in your family. See, many of us, we spend so much time trying to get failures off of our list, but Jesus gave his life to bring us onto his. And you can be honest about your past. And I'll never forget when I met the woman who's now my wife and we kind of started to, to date, I knew that I wanted to be completely forthright with how I had lived before knowing her. Because I saw, you know those romantic comedies where everyone lies to each other and you know they're going to get found? I can't even watch it. It gives me like so much anxiety. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like it's uh, on the airplane. I can't even watch it. I can't do the rom-coms. It gives me way too much anxiety. So I'm like, I'm just going to come clean. And as I told this, this girl, I was bracing myself for rejection, just sexual promiscuity, this, that, and the other, like, I'm damaged goods. And I was particularly sensitive to this because my roommate at the time, he was dating a girl, this was all at Bible college, just for context, <laughs> where everyone's dating, you know, ring by spring, or whatever, if, if you don't know that, it's another conversation. <laughs> And he came into our dorm room one night and he was so upset. He was angry. I said, why are you so angry? He said, well, I found out that this girl that he was dating, that, that she had been with another man. I was so mad. I was like, who do you think you are, you know? I was like, because I'm damaged goods. And, you know, I was like, the gospel. Ah. I was like, you know, because I, like, I was damaged goods. But I'll never forget when I told my wife, she, or she wasn't my wife at the time, I was hoping she would be, but she literally looked at me and she said, I see you as clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I was like, I will never forget that. I will never forget that. It was a beautiful example to me that you can be honest about your life. And because of this unconditional acceptance, we experience healing, We experience security because our failures won't remove us from that list. And we experience power. I am a child of God. I am on his list. See, what if there was a, a community where, where every man and woman was all accepted by grace and our failures wouldn't take us off the roster? 
See, the book of Hebrews, the author says of Jesus, but the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He is not ashamed to call you brother or sister. He says, I live for you, I died for you, I rose again for you, you're on my list. You're in my family. Men and women, Jew and Gentile, small and great, insiders and outsiders, rich and poor, educated, uneducated, victims and culprits. Everyone is given the invitation. Friends, that means that there is no one here so good that you don't need to be saved. And there's no one so bad that you cannot be saved. Nobody deserves to be on God's list, but everyone has an invitation. So, my first question, have you received the invitation because you've got to RSVP? (laughs) If you're like me, You allow those Evites to sit in your inbox and you never reply and you just think you can show up to carols and beer and like, it's all fine. (laughs) You think you can just go to gold and even though you didn't take advantage of the early bird pricing, but my dear friend, you've got to RSVP. Jesus Christ has sent the invitation. The good news, not good advice, has gone to the world. You may have heard about it for years, maybe even in this church, but have you RSVP'd? Have you said, Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, you are my savior. Jesus, I believe you died on a cross. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose again, and I believe I can be a part of your family simply by grace through faith. Have you believed? Make the choice today. And if you have accepted that invitation by grace, are you living like it? Are we living like people who've been accepted into Christ's family by grace and not by our works? Are we telling others about this hope in this season? Are we telling others this good news Are we looking down on other people in the church? Oh, remember, you are accepted by grace. Jesus came to bring healing for the pain. Are you experiencing that healing that Christ lived, died, and rose to bring? See, my prayer this morning for us is that what is true would become real to our hearts today. That you would know that as if Christ were standing right before you, he'd say, you're mine. I gave everything for you because I love you. I want you in my family. I don't fold the photo. I'm not ashamed to call you brother or sister. He came to bring healing for the pain, forgiveness for the guilty, strength for the weak, sight for the blind, hope for the hopeless, grace to the undeserving, salvation to the lost. Who wants damaged goods? Jesus does. And he came to put you on his list.